It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Alexander, how do you feel, uh, heavyweight champion of the world? I'm feel. I'm very feel. Heavyweight uh, champions. Yes, indeed. Usyk is very feel after that absolutely wonderful, masterful <laughs> performance on Saturday night against Anthony Joshua. Welcome back, fight fans, as always, to our big fight reaction to Usyk and Joshua and what was... Not so much a surprise for us, as we said in our preview for this episode. We did both pick Joshua on points. You know, a really close fight. We both admit, you know, that we got this we got this wrong. But I know you, Johnston, I know you said to me after this fight, deep down you always knew Usyk was going to win. I did indeed, and I'm a bit disappointed in myself that I didn't stick with it. I, I thought that um, Joshua would fight a better fight than he did, and I thought that would make it a lot closer and I did mention that, that there could have been controversial scorecards that would have favoured Joshua. And I'm pleased that didn't happen, uh, but I'm annoyed at myself that I didn't just stick by my guns and stay that, say that Usyk was going to win this fight because I honestly believed he was all wrong for Joshua. I think it, it was clear and evident on the night, and there are things that Joshua can improve on, which we'll go into in a sec, but how much can Usyk improve? Well, I think that was... He's still... It's not his best, his best performance, so um, I think there's more to come from him. So we're going to go through this episode and talk about some of the talking points and topics from the card itself. Of course, we're going to talk about what's next for Usyk and Joshua, the fight itself, break it down a little bit. We're going to talk about the potential for a Fury fight. Will it happen? Won't it happen? We'll talk about Callum Smith's scary KO of Lenin Castillo and the reaction of Lenin Castillo. We'll talk about Campbell Hatton and how very, very lucky and fortunate he was to get a decision on Saturday night and how, yet again, the British Boxing Board of Control are essentially ruining the sport as it stands. And then finally, we've got Lawrence Coli's victory, a seemingly straightforward performance. But what happens next for him? Where does he go? We're going to cover all this off in the episode, starting at the top with Joshua Usyk. And just going back to that fight then, Johnston, just giving my initial assessment of what I think happened on the night. I think... It's kind of what I expected in some ways, to be honest with you, from Usyk. I expected him to come in. I expected him to use a lot of lateral movement, try and get inside and outside. I was very surprised that he uh, he stood kind of toe-to-toe, essentially, with Anthony Joshua. When that first bell rang, Joshua comes out to the middle. Usyk stays where he is. Uh, Initially, I thought Usyk would go a little bit more on the back foot, and he didn't. And that surprised me straight from the off. And I think it surprised Joshua, to be honest with you. I think it surprised him a lot, because I think... Him being the bigger guy, a lot of emphasis was always around him fighting like a bigger guy and using his weight advantage and using his his natural size to to try and bully Alexander Usyk. But none of that happened whatsoever throughout the whole course of a fight. You know, he he was trying to outbox a boxer. 
and it just didn't work for him. And I don't know why nobody in the corner, including Rob McCracken, said, look, this is not working. Let, let's go for a different tactic. Let's try and adjust. And admittedly, I did see some adjustments happen around the 6th, 7th round, but it just weren't enough at all for Anthony Joshua. And Usyk was, you know, it sounds daft. It made him look really amateur. He really did. He made, he made it look so yeah. easy for him. I mean, there were a couple of rocky moments, of course, for Usyk, where he got caught with a couple, and there was questions over whether he could take a dig, and it's quite evident that he can. But on the whole, Alexander Usyk just completely outboxed him. And a good little man beats a, a good big man. But in this case, a great little man beats a, a, a good big man. And I think that's kind of what we saw there on Saturday night. And a lot of questions are more so on the Joshua side now as opposed to Usyk. Because we kind of all knew what Usyk was all about and what he had the potential to do. But I think there's a lot of questions to be asked for Anthony Joshua and his camp about what, what did he do next? How did he change this? What went wrong? There's going to be a lot of talks going on in the back, surely. A lot of people are already asking for Rob McCracken's head, which I think might be a bit too much yet again. But then again, is it really now at this stage of his career? Does he need someone else to come in? Does he need someone else to give him a bit of a freshen up now and, and, and try and change a few little things? What do you think, Johnston? Give your assessment of how everything went down on Saturday night. Uh, well, I think the call for Rob's head is just inevitable. That's what people tend to do when... If any result doesn't go the way that many thought, whether it be in boxing or football, it's, it's just how it works, isn't it? It's, you're as good as your last fight. So I'm not surprised that the call for Rob to leave is definitely a question that's been arising sort of since since the fight. But, I mean, Usyk did everything I expected him to do on the night. Uh, you know, the one thing that surprised me was his fast start. And like, like you say, he stood in the ring and one of the first punches he threw was that left jab straight down the middle on, on Joshua's face. Um he knew he was in from a fight from then. And I think that that early start from Usyk was the perfect formula for him to effectively go on and actually win the fight comprehensively. I mean, he showed excellent footwork. He switched up the angles beautifully, confused Joshua with his fainting, which I thought I was really impressed with that. Uh, constant head movement, never in one place at one time, never allowed Joshua to set himself, which restricted his combinations, because that's where Joshua is effective when he's able to throw combinations. He barely threw the right hand. Um, for me, that that is the one thing is inevitable. If Joshua can land that, then he can follow it up with something. He never even really threw it that much for me. Uh, certainly never followed up any of his good work. I mean, you mentioned there were moments where Joshua was successful. And I think the low right hand were, was the shot for me. That was the shot that was that kept Usyk off guard a little bit um, where he wasn't sort of just holding out the left hand that sort of to lead him, the, the leading left, if you like, that he, he likes to do and then follow up with a right because that was just, it, it was just always going to counter that all the time, Usyk. Usyk knew that right hand was coming, but when he threw it from the waist and he was successful, he landed, he pushed him back. And then the other shot for me was the left to the body and the right to the body. If Joshua was able to follow that up, if he could have threw that right hand and then followed up with a left to the body and then pushed him back, he may have got Usyk's attention, but he never did that enough. And that's what he needed to do. Uh, and, and he ended up, in, it, what, what happened was he fell into the trap of fighting Usyk's fight, uh, resulting in him once again, for me, getting gassed. Although he did show improvements of condition. I think he gassed a little bit later in the fight, but that was because of the pace that Usyk set. Um, he wasted too many big shots, Joshua, throwing them and missing, which just takes a lot out of you anyway. And he relied on that one punch rather than the accumulation of punches and them combinations that are so devastating for Anthony Joshua. So I think Usyk is, he made Anthony Joshua look average. And I felt that Joshua just was pretty clueless. And, and that does come from the corner. So I can understand why people are even mentioning Rob McCracken leaving, because I do think he probably needed a bit, a, a different, bit of advice I think I think that could help him I agree on that I think that's what the topics of conversation will be for the the coming months really uh I'm moving on to sort of the aftermath of this now immediately after Eddie Hearn was interviewed and he was asked about this immediate rematch clause he's confirmed that there is one he's confirmed that he's probably going to take the immediate rematch which there's a lot of people in boxing already saying no this shouldn't happen he shouldn't take the rematch what's the point he's already proven that you know he's he's he's, he's out beat he's out pointed him he's out he's out beating him to the punch every time what's the point well of course there's a big point because Anthony Joshua is going to want to try and avenge that loss like he did against Andy Ruiz so I can kind of understand why why they would immediately take this but for me you know if Usyk 
Usyk's gonna, if, if anything, Usyk might even get better. You know, now he's been in the ring with Anthony Joshua, he might have his number. Scary. He might, he might be the bogeyman. You know, he might be that heavyweight bogeyman that a lot of fighters are, are gonna try and avoid, like the plague. And I think we've felt like this a long time about Usyk. And I think Anthony Joshua goes straight back in with him. I'll be again. I'd be going for Usyk this time all the way. Usyk points all the way. Maybe even Usyk late stoppage. There were moments in that first fight where I think he was saved by the ropes on one occasion, and yeah. the fight the fight seemingly seemed to end. Uh, I think it was a bit early in the in the third, in the twelfth round. I think it was something like four or five seconds early that it actually ended. Uh, although people have since come out and said actually it started late, so it ended late. Um, I, I don't know what the logistics are behind behind that and the timekeeper going through that, but people were saying it ended a little bit too soon and that it's kind of saved Joshua from getting knocked out. Look, at, he was already beaten at this point anyway, so what does it really matter? He was already beaten, well on points. And the scorecards, uh, I think they were actually pretty decent, to be fair. How, people were criticising Howard Foster's scorecard of 115-113. Uh, I did, to be honest with you, I didn't have it too far away from that. I had it 116-112 to Usyk. So... I think what it was with Howard Foster is that he gave, I think, the first couple of rounds to Joshua when clearly he didn't win the first couple of rounds, and I think that's why people were criticising that particular scorecard. But on the whole, Usyk actually got a fair a fair crack of the whip over here, given the fact that he was the one coming here. Uh, and I've got to add as well, Johnston, Usyk has got to be the best away fighter, uh, probably, <laughs> probably in, in recent boxing history. I mean, he's beat... Everyone in his last, what, six, seven fights away from home in their backyard. He beat Chisora here. He beat Bellew over here. He's, he beat Gassiev. He beat Michael Hunter in America. He beat Kloaki in Poland. He's, he's gone to everybody's backyard and he's beaten him. To me, that is a sign of a, a true generational legend and a true generational champion because that's where he's heading now after 19 fights he's moved up from cruiserweight after unifying it becoming the third man to do that in boxing history now uh, alongside Evander Holyfield and David Hay so already after 19 fights this is what he's achieved in his, his career on the professional side it puts him straight into the top 10 pound for pound right at the top for me does he overthrow Canelo it's difficult to overthrow Canelo. I think he comes in second, a very close second. I think if he was to go on and completely unify the heavyweight division, for me, he'd have to be the top spot then. But then some people will argue he should be number one over Canelo. It's subjective. We we do know this. It's always subjective. But I suppose, Johnston, what I'm asking you now is, is like, what's next for these two guys? Should the rematch happen? Should that immediate rematch go ahead? Or should Joshua take some time and have another fight? Or should Usyk go and look in another direction. What do you think is the best course of action? Well, I think firstly what you said there, the fact that Usyk can get better because I've seen him fight better and you've seen him fight better and that's scary. And the fact that he's used to being on the way soil and still producing the goods, the performances are always there. You know, we mentioned sort of when we'd done the, the preview to this, that you know he went into those fights with Derek Chisora and Witherspoon with the intention of fighting their fight. He absolutely made this his fight against Joshua, and Joshua just couldn't cope with the pace. So that's the scary part of it for a start. The only thing for me, Usyk has to be aware of is that low right hand, that right hand that comes out of nowhere, because he hit him a few times with it, and it pushed him back. And that's where I think Joshua, if, he re- if there is a rematch, which I think it's gone, it's inevitable. Um, does uh, maybe for me, uh, what we're looking at is probably going to take about six to eight months for this fight to happen. Joshua's inactivity is not helping him. I think these big stadium fights, are, they're all fantastic, but there's nothing wrong with sticking in a, a, a fight against somebody that he knows he's going to beat just so he can, you know, like someone like the O2, just a small hall fight, yeah, yeah. just to get him. That will help Joshua so he could, if he does get a new trainer or if he's got some, some different uh, ways that he believes he might be able to defeat Usyk, then try and get someone in that's as tricky as he, as he is. Obviously not too tricky because you don't want to go and, go and get beat again. But that's the danger, I think. And that's what I think's happened to, to what boxing was and what it is today, is that fighters, they're too scared of losing rather than actually going into the ring and, and trying to... Um, to change your ways and pick up some victories against tricky opponents. It's that fear factor straight away. I would easily, for me, I think Joshua needs to just have a little fight in between, even if it's behind closed doors. You know, something like Sugar Ray Leonard, we, we mentioned with, with uh, Leonard Hagler, like, you know, just have those real fights behind closed doors. 
the trouble is, is there's nobody in the heavyweight division that will compare to Usyk. Usyk is a different kettle of fish compared to anybody. The fact that he's southpaw, he's smaller, he's got great movement, he's got all the attributes to beat Anthony Joshua again. I mean, as I say, all he needs to do is miss that right hand. And if he can do that, then great. If Joshua can flip it, be a lot calmer in areas, don't waste his shots, be a bit more patient like Akinello was against Kovlev, where he just waited and waited and let, allowed Kovlev to move around the ring and waste his energy on fainting and moving and stuff like that. I mean, that, it, again, is a, a potential plan. It's a dangerous plan because you don't want to get him too far away. Look, Joshua's going to take this rematch. I don't know if he should. Um, as I say, I think he might just need a little fight in between, but it's not going to happen. They're going to go straight into a stadium fight, wherever that may be. And, um, and, and unless Joshua makes some real significant improvements in camp, I can't see him beating Usyk. And I think Usyk wins the rematch. And then, obviously, that throws out any possibility of a Joshua Fury fight. Um, it looks like it will be Usyk for me. I think Usyk's going to be the man to, to take on Fury. And, and again, you know, although Fury has got great movement himself, he doesn't compare with Usyk. And I don't think he's got as much much power as a Joshua, although he's a heavyweight, you know, he can still bang, don't get me wrong. But I think he's all prob- he's, he's Usyk's problems for Fury as well. Um, as I said, I said from, from the day, Dot Sean, I said that when Usyk steps his division, he will dominate it. And I backed out of my words. So I'm really irritated myself that I did that. But I honestly can't see anyone beating this guy. I really can't. Well, this is it now. You've got to stick by these words. You've got to stick by the fact that you said like now Usyk is, is literally the man to beat in the division. People say it's Fury's the man to beat in the division. There's a lot of obviously talk about Fury now. What what he does, that that plan for the British, the biggest British boxing event in history and, and one of the biggest events in boxing history now looks like it's completely down the toilet and been flushed away because with Joshua losing this fight, it really does dampen the mood as to whether that fight with Fury will ever happen unless he comes back and puts on an amazing performance to beat Alexander Usyk and he, and he stops him in emphatic fashion that'd be the only way that people would then think right actually you know maybe he could do something maybe you could go and beat Fury but as things stand for me the the value of that's completely plummeted as a result of him losing so would I still watch it if it happened well I, I think of course I would I'd want to see it but the value of it as as we've always said it would be the biggest British boxing event in history it'd be, you know it's the only time two British boxers have got in the ring and competed for all the belts it's no value now because Joshua doesn't have the belts. So that value is completely gone. So it does take everything away from that fight unless Joshua comes back in the rematch and beats him emphatically, which now after seeing that fight and seeing how good and how easy it was for Usyk, I can only see Usyk getting better in the second fight. I mean, it's not like Andy Ruiz who came in overweight and out of shape for his rematch because clearly all the money had gotten to him and he couldn't be arse training. Usyk a consummate professional and always has been and he will stay that way and if anything he'll only get better so my my money is on Usyk beating Anthony Joshua in the rematch. This Fury fight doesn't happen with Joshua and it leads to see what happens with Fury in a few weeks against Deontay Wilder. If he comes through that we could be looking at Usyk and Fury next year in a big fight if he doesn't, and Wilder comes through it, we could be completely looking at a fight that we wasn't even considering 12 months ago, which it, it does it does beg the question, will will these fights that we want happen? How many times have we said we want these fights to happen and they've not happened? It happens It happens for us a lot. We'll, we'll say this is going to pan out this way and it, it doesn't. Something will happen that will change the landscape of, of heavyweight boxing and here we go, it's happened again. Usyk has come in and upset the apple cart, upset all the big plans and now it's it's kind of for us to look ahead to Wilder Fury and, and kind of hope that Fury does come through it from our perspective as British boxing fans that he can get through it and, and have a big fight with Usyk next year. But Fury, Joshua, for me, there's no value in it now. Joshua hasn't got any belts anymore. What What's the value in it now? I, I don't see it. I don't see any value in that fight happening. What about you at this stage? If Joshua was to lose to Usyk again, is there any value in that fight anymore? suppose the one good thing about the whole thing is the rematch will happen. As I say, it's probably going to happen in, what, six months' time. Now, when, when does Dillian White fight? Dillian White, does he fight next month, does he? Um, I think, I think, so that actually opens the door now for Dillian because the Usyk-Joshua fight is going to happen. Fury, Wilder, whoever wins that fight, now, you know, if Wilder wins it, there is a possibility of a fourth match. I mean, that's, that's a strong possibility. Who knows um, whether they would want to do it a fourth time. But if Wilder does come through it, 
that's a possibility. So it, it, it basically puts Usyk and Joshua out of the, away out of the equation completely because if they have this rematch, which they're going to do. I mean, there's no doubt for me. So Fury Wilder, the winner of that, it leaves the fight, the WBC title on the line. So I sort of hope Fury comes through. I think he will. I've got much more... Um, I'm more inclined to go with Tyson Fury against Wilder than I was with Usyk against Joshua. Um, so I think Fury does come through it. And it opens the door for Dillian White to finally get an opportunity to fight Tyson Fury for the WBC belt. That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. And if that happens and you have the, re- the rematch with Usyk and Joshua, the winner of that, and then you've got all the marbles again. And it puts Dillian White in the mix. It also keeps Wilder in the mix because if he beats Fury, then obviously that puts a cat amongst the pigeons. So this win for Usyk... As in, in for me, it's opened up the division again, where we might actually be in a position where we actually find out come what end of next year who the real champion is of all these guys. Yeah, well, I hope it happens that way. But as we know, with yeah. boxing, it doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> it always. Way, no, does it? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, let's let's just see. Let's hope that. Uh, th- these things do happen. I'm pretty sure the boxing wish list 2022 will include some of these similar types of conversations. Uh, but let's move on. We've talked a lot about obviously this particular fight. Uh, there is a few other things on this card that need to be spoken about. Uh, I, th- I think firstly, Callum Smith moving up to the light heavyweight division. We knew it was inevitable after losing to Canelo. We always said how he made 168 for years. Bloody hell, he's carried his power up indeed. He absolutely sparked Lenin Castillo. As I said, Lenny Castillo, he'd not been stopped before. He'd, he'd gone in with Bivol and Brown in the light heavyweight division and lost to them on points. But yet Callum Smith goes in there and sparks him out in emphatic fashion and causes uh, such an adverse reaction that I don't think any of us have ever seen in the sport. I honestly thought this guy was going to die in the ring. I genuinely had a lot of concern for him in the ring at that point. And the way they kept the cameras panned away out of respect from the ring at the time he was in it, I was like, this guy is this guy's going to die in the ring. I was really, really scared for him. I was genuinely scared that this guy was going to die in the ring. Fortunately, Lenny Castillo is okay. He has reported back on social media to to his followers that he is actually fine. It was a routine check over and he's fine. But looking at the way he reacted to that KO, I've seen some KOs in my time. I've seen people's arms still moving on the floor when they've been knocked out. I've never seen that before. That was horrific. No, never have I ever seen that before. It was almost like he had a a neurolog- neurological problem or something where the nerves nerves went in his brain and, and he was like, it, it it did look really horrible. It really did. And and the fact just seeing sort of Callum, he went back and sort of just prayed, didn't he, in his corner as well. And the referee didn't even count. He just rolled him over and put him in a recovery position and he had oxygen almost instantly. I mean, these are the safety measures that we put in place in boxing to make sure fighters do come out the way that Castillo has come where he's able to now have, have his uh, brain scan come out completely clear and then go onto social media and tell his followers that he's okay. I mean, that's credit to the sport, but it didn't look good. It really didn't. It was an horrific knockout. And well, uh, he definitely uh, made a mark, didn't he? Um, Callum Smith in this division with that finish because that really was uh, devastating. It always put everybody on notice as far as I'm concerned. People yep. could people could easily say to us now, well, it's too soon to say that, but he's just beating a guy who has, has lost to Bivol and Brown, two of the best in the division, uh, and lost on points. And for Callum Smith to go in there and stop him the way he's done is really emphatic to me. It makes a statement of intent that he is here. He's going to be a problem in 175 division. And I, I don't even see the point of beating around the bush with Smith at this point. They want to put him straight into world title contention. He, he, he's world-class. We know he's world-class. He's obviously only losses to Canelo, who is a once-in-a-lifetime fighter. We know this, but Callum Smith has got the ability and the skill and always has had the ability and skill to become a world champion in more than one division. And I think there's a very good chance he will become a light heavyweight champion, and and, and he does, but it's who, who could he fight? Bivol is the one for me 
that I think I would love to see him against. I would love to see him against Bivol. Baturbi well, that's a completely different conversation, of course. Uh, scary, scary power that he's got. But if Callum Smith's to become a light heavyweight champion, I'd really love to see him fight Bivol because I think that would be an absolutely brilliant fight. The skill and ability level. And remember, Bivol came up from 168 as well to light heavyweight. So it'd be a really interesting fight. They'd naturally, you know, you look at them, they'll they, be quite evenly matched in, in some ways. So I think it'd be a really interesting fight. I think that's the route that hopefully they will go down and they will go to, to fight Dimitri Bivol. But yeah, he's got a very good chance of becoming a champion again in light heavyweight yeah. division, I think. And not just based off that performance. Of, he's, he's got the skill and ability to do it, but that performance just adds weight to it now. Yeah, I think so. And and I think Bivol would surely be the target. I mean, Bivol could, for me, I still think he's a small light heavyweight. So, uh, you know, there's not much of a size difference ever at all. I mean, we know Callum Smith is... is he will grant this. He must walk around heavier than one one seven five, surely. Uh, but Bivol's surely going to be the long term target. Uh, Baterviev is a guy that, if you manage to get through a Bivol, then maybe you can um, you can look at him. But in saying that, Bivol, I think gets underrated because he's just as good with his movement, head movement, fainting, just as Usyk is. I'm not saying he's as good as Usyk, but he definitely has the potential. He just doesn't fight enough for me. But then the other champion is the Joe Smith Jr., who's another one I like. I really like Joe Smith Jr. I think he brings something to the table, and I think that could be a really, really good fight. Yeah. But I think the one thing I'd say, like you mentioned, Marcus Brand, I think Marcus Brand or Jesse Hart or even the 39-year-old Sullivan Barrera, I think those three should be maybe the first one on the list just to get that, maybe make that an elimination fight of some sort for one of those titles um, and then and then go for go for one of the big names, whether it be Bivol or Smith Jr. Or even, uh, is it uh, Gilberto Ramirez is in there as well? I mean, yep. even domestically, Sean, Burak, Sealand and Arthur, what, Craig Richards, Callum Johnson, Anthony Yard, there's, a, there's some big fights there and all. Absolutely. There's a lot of good fights for Callum Smith. I honestly think they'll steer him in the direction of of world title contention straight away. I do. I do think they won't be beating yeah. around the bush. There's no, you know, with all due respect to the other guys that you mentioned there, I, I don't see why you would want to fight these guys who are trying to push their way up to title contention. You know, like Joshua Barazzi is probably ready to go for a world title. I don't think they're going to want to steer him in that direction of these two fighting each other until maybe both of them, if they are successful enough to get a world title each then maybe that could be a future fight down the line if they both hold a title. At this point in time, yeah. it, 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 on paper, it's a great fight. It is a great fight. But, again, it's it's the value factor of it. It's the money aspect of it. Obviously, Buatze is with Matchroom. Eddie Hearn's not going to stick him in, want to stick him in with Callum Smith at this moment in time. He's going to want to separate him. If Essentially, if Eddie Hearn's smart, which he is, he's going to want to try and get them in both into a position to fight for a world title separately and both try and get a world title if they can and then fight later on down the line because it makes for a bigger fight. That That's probably the long-term thinking. Uh, that's what as I long as they actually, As long as they actually get the fight on, though, Sean, because we're waiting for these big fights and then there just seems to be a hesitance and then they have another fight and they lose. If 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 they can get a title, um, uh, if they can both get a title, then fantastic. If one of them gets a title, then just get it done. I mean, they can fight again. <laughs> like, I just think would, people, they, especially with Matchroom and, and with Eddie, I mean, the, the, Eddie and um, Frank, they, they, they don't, one minute they're talking about let's this get these fights on and then and it doesn't happen. So, you know, if you ain't gonna have a Boatsy and a Smith, I get that. You know, you're in the same camp, let's get a title on the line and get it on at Liverpool or something like that. That's that makes for a big, big show. But then you got, you know, the other fights in there, like that like, um Anthony Yard, um and Boatsy for for instance. I mean, that's a fight that could happen. I I know we're going away from the Callum Smith situation. I just no, it's disappointing that we've missed the, the Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua thing. And we missed the Joshua Wilder thing because it's just, it, it just taking too long. You've just got to get him going. Get him in a fight. If you lose, you lose. It doesn't matter. You can come again. And I think that losing mentality started to creep back into the sport again. I don't like it. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I do agree with that. And it's, if it was as easy as you're saying it like that, then fantastic. But it's just not. There's just there's always logistics around too why. Too many politics. Yeah, exactly. Too many politics indeed. So well, let's move on then. Let's talk about another controversial debate that got social media absolutely riled up to the nines over the weekend, and that was young Campbell Hatton and his supposed victory. On paper, it's victory. Not a victory for us, but he got a victory over his opponent, Sonny Martinez, who was 2-4 and four before that fight. And it's going to feel like a bit of a bashing on Campbell Hatton here. It's not. It's more of a frustration uh, for, as, as a boxing fan, you know, wanting him to do well. Um, I, I've met Campbell. I've 
been to see Campbell as an amateur, and he is he is a down to earth lad, and he is a nice lad, and it's just a shame that you know he's been put on this big stage so early on in his career that the pressure is ultimately always going to be on him to live up to the hype of his father. Uh, and because of that pressure, you know, people will always find the the mistakes and the the amateurish style that he's still carried over with him after obviously three fights and now he's fought off. People are going to be quick to point all this out because he didn't have much of an amateur career. So the problem is he's been put on the big stage straight away and he's going to be criticised straight away because Campbell Hatton, if he was another fighter, if he wasn't related to Ricky Hatton, he was just a guy that was coming up, he wouldn't even headline a local show, say, on the Northwest scene in, in Manchester or even down on the London scene. He wouldn't headline a Steve Goodwin show. He wouldn't headline a Steve Wood show up here in, in the Manchester area. So... They're putting him on there and they're putting him sort of, you know, just behind the Ecoli fight ahead of the Joshua fight. It just seems a bit, it seems a bit silly that they've done it. But then I can understand like what the reaction is to it. The reaction is like, well, if Eddie Hearn comes along and offers you an opportunity to be on that show and to put your name on a platform straight away and put yourself out there straight away, obviously most fighters are going to take it. But because it's Campbell Hatton and he's, because of his dad and what his dad's done, Straight away, that pressure's always going to be on him. And and for this fight, he, he did really struggle in it. He did really struggle in the fight. There was a lot of amateur mistakes that he made. You know, He was going in quite flat-footed. He was going in with his head down. He was falling into the punches. And that that's pretty much sums up how he fought that fight. But yet, obviously, he got the decision. And that's what's caused the uproar for everybody, is that that wasn't... He didn't win that fight. He did not win that fight. There's no way you could give him any more than a round in that fight. Some people were saying he didn't even get a round in that fight. For me, he probably got one round in that six-round fight. And Sonny Martinez should have been walking away with his life changed a little bit because he would have been brought back over probably maybe to fight him again, you know, in a bit of a rematch later on down the line. Like Ivan Mendy was against Luke Campbell a few years before when Ivan Mendy upset Luke Campbell and then come back and Campbell beat so it could have been a similar scenario it could have changed Martinez's life unfortunately the British Boxing Board of Control yet again have a lot to answer for because they're ruining they're ruining the sport in this country and the amount of times we've had this conversation and I've got to shout out Rob Evans who's one of our patrons and long-time listeners because straight away after that verdict was given he was messaging the Twitter page and he said, please make sure you talk about this on the podcast. Please make sure you mention how the British Boxing Board of Control are, are ruining the sport with decisions like this. Johnston, again, we've had this conversation before, but talk to me about this fight. Talk to me about Campbell Hatton uh, and what should happen in the future for him. And also, again, the British Boxing Board of Control and what they need to do. Oh, mate, I mean, I mean Campbell Hatton, I feel for the guy, as you say. He's carrying his dad's name and therefore... He's being highlighted um, as a potential in the game, and and his performance wasn't good, as you say. He, he just he weren't at it at all. Um, he, he's inexperienced, the kid. You know, he, he doesn't. He's eager to impress for me, too eager to impress, which is also causing problems for him. And, and I think it's a lot of pressure. Maybe it's the the pressure of being on the sort of the cameras being on him. And then um, having to impress and then over-impressing and then looking really bad. And I think that's basically what happened to him. And he, he, should, have, he should have lost the fight. Uh, and, and I think it is unfair that, you know, it's, I don't know what to say about the judging side of things. I mean, that, it just, I, I was already moaning about the judging before the old night even started thinking it's going to be the main event that's going to be the problem. In actual fact, it ended up being one of the lower cards. But... Uh, it, when it comes to the judging, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that reminds me of the Conor Ben Sidrick uh, Pennard fight as well, where uh, Conor Bren, I think, got away with uh, yeah, their first did. fight, and then and then he got the rematch, and it made the rematch more exciting, didn't it? And this one is now a bit of a, a, a piss take. Um, on is it Ramirez? Uh, I forgot the guy's name. Um, Martinez. Yeah. Martinez, sorry, Martinez. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's out of order on him because if anything, though, they should still be saying, all right, there's a controversy that surrounds the fight. Let uh, Hatton have, uh, Campbell Hatton have a few more fights and then we'll come back and revisit that fight and we'll show people that we've improved and, uh, um, you know, we'll get it, we'll get the win much more convincingly. Uh, we'll get the win. Uh, they, it's crazy <laughs> to think that he did get it. I mean, it is, it's, 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 it's mad. It really is. And, and yeah, the Brit- the British Boxing Board have tried. They've got to look at it. They've got to look at these decisions and think. Well, how have you come to this? Have a sit down and a chat with these guys. 
be open-minded and, and you know with a referee and say like you know how are you coming to this kind of thing so look i think they need to, when, when these cards come up and a lot of people are moaning about it, and rightfully so i think that's where it needs it needs an investigation even if it's just a quick investigation what did you see because we clearly ain't seeing what you see um yeah that's all i can say about the boxing board of control because they always end up pulling one of these out of the bag sean it's get it's becoming at least every other every other time there is a, quite a big fight on you'll have one of the cards on there that's um dreadful judging or dread, dreadful refereeing decision it just it's just inevitable it's gonna happen i really don't know mate i really don't know what else to say about it other than he really did get away with one as we like to say as well i think when you spoke about your football referee analogy um months ago maybe even a year ago now on an episode yeah, where we were speaking yeah yeah that football referee analogy for anybody that didn't hear that from from you johnson you obviously you mentioned like in in football if a premier league referee has a really shocker of a game essentially what happens is the the fa the football association would then demote them to say the championship instead and they would then go and ref a championship game for a few more games if the quality of their refereeing performances on the day gets better then they get promoted back to a premier league game essentially this should happen the same way really with the british boxing board of control that now shows are back on and they're free-flowing again and we've got all the small hall back up and running you know a, a referee if he's made a bad call in a fight or if a judge has made a bad call in in a card that they've scored for a fight then if that is investigated correctly rather than brushed under the carpet which is what happens all the time then really they should be being either retrained or they should be putting on a smaller hall show and and, and be a judge on a small hall fight because a lot of the small hall fights are very, very competitive and very close and it'd be better test for them to make sure that they are, you know, they're not looking through rose-tinted glasses all the time and sometimes with like these names, certain names in the sport, it does happen with them and you think to yourself, how has this man got this decision? I feel for Campbell because he's come out since that fight and said, you know, he, he actually still says he thinks he did enough, but you can understand why why people do feel the way they do. That, at the end of the day, that's not his fault. It's not his fault a decision happened the way it did. So people can't criticise him for it. They can only criticise, say, the, the, the lack of his performance or the average performance that he put in. And that's for him and his team to go away and get better. And that's understandable. They're going to go away and do that. Personally, if I was looking at his career at this point in time, I'd be looking at getting him on the smaller hall shows again and, and building his resume up and having these types of fights on there. People might think it's counterproductive in a sense that, well, he's not being put on the marquee shows again and you know he's never going to be forgotten the thing is his name's there now he's got the name he's always going to carry the name with him so even if he goes back down onto the smaller hall shows has another five six seven eight fights down there gets all that experience and that he needs because of his lack of amateur career then comes back to the marquee shows becoming a much more improved fighter people are then going to appreciate him more there's so many people uh, within boxing at the moment that have called for the same thing and i agree wholehearted with every single one of them saying this is what needs to happen with his career it's down to his dad really because obviously Rick is managing his career and Matthew his uncle is training him so it's down to that team to make that decision as to whether they think maybe he should go back on the smaller hall shows and do it this way because that's where them two came up through their careers they both came from the small hall circuit onto the mainstream and it was because of Ricky's success that Matthew was able to jump on the back of that success and get his own performances out there and become a better fighter himself. It should happen this way for Campbell. I just don't know if it will because he's with Matchroom and I think Matchroom are going to continue to put him on there and probably put him along the same way Conor Ben has been brought along. He had a few fights during his early part of his career where he was really rocky. The Paynard fight in particular, as you mentioned, was the one that he got away with, definitely. But he's improved so much since then and he's shown it. It could go this same way and we could be looking at this in a year's time thinking, actually, you know, they stuck with it and they got through in the end. But if it was me at this point in time, I'd want to get him on a few small hall shows locally, get him on there. Or, or even if he's on a matchroom show, get him down lower on the card. Don't put the pressure on him. Stop bulking him up the card and putting so much bloody pressure on him to perform. And that's what he's trying to do. And, and he's making so many mistakes in the fight that these guys who... Maybe he could beat in a few more fights time more convincingly. 
uh, are taking the piss a little bit out of him, and, and that's that. It doesn't make it look good. It doesn't make his marketability any better. If anything, it just makes people make the comparison even more that he's just never going to be as good as his dad, and that's where the issue is going to lie with him. I just hope they make the right decisions going forward for him, and that he can come back from this a, a stronger and better fighter, and and we get to see hopefully where he can go. Yeah, and I think I mean you mentioned just a small hall fights. I think that's that would be good for him. You know, keep him active. He doesn't have to always fight on these big cars. And as you say, if he is on one, then having much earlier in the show um, just takes that pressure off of him. And you're right, you know, if he could follow the footsteps of like, like Conor Ben, that, you know, takes some inspiration from that and, and trying to sort of do the same thing that he's done, then um, obviously that'd be great. And as you say, we could be looking back saying, you know, well, that that is, uh, I'm glad that, you know, that he's pulled through it kind of thing and he would have won that fight and a few fights, etc. But I mean, it's, it's almost like a footballer going out on loan, isn't it? When you send them out, you're a Premier League club, you've got a young kid and he's at Man United or wherever, and that they'll sing him out in League One, League Two, just to get him some, um, just to get used to the phys- phys- physicality of the game. And I think that's pretty much what boxing can, is like as well. You need to have every single experience to be able to learn. The big hall, you know, the big cards are obviously fantastic to fight on, but also you need to come down to reality, you know, getting yourself changed in a nice box gym, you know, that probably stinks of last night's hot dogs or something, you know, like that sort of feeling, not in a massive change room like you have at, at, at Tottenham, you know, don't let him start fighting with his slippers on already, you know, he needs to be really feeling that, that grisly side of it and, and, and that I think will, will help him massively going into the future. Yeah, I agree on that. Well, let's top the show off then by talking about Lawrence Coli's win. It felt quite routine for him, to be honest with you. His opponent, Prazovic, was undefeated. And again, we didn't know what to expect. We looked at his record and said that he'd only fought one guy with a winning record and he'd beaten him in that. And again, Lawrence Coli just looks too much for these guys in in this position. The Prazovic's of the world... Uh, clearly is 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 a level above that. He's way above that. He's a world champion now. He should be now fighting these guys that are at the top echelons of the division. He is calling for it. To to be fair to him, he's already calling for unifications. So I can't fault him for wanting to go down that route. That's the route he should be going down now. He's got the power. He's improved so much under Shane McGuigan that he's got the ability to box a lot better and set his shots up a lot better uh, and not go through that awful period of time where he had them few fights with Isaac Chamberlain and Matty Askin where they were absolutely terrible stinkers of fights. He's now got past all that and he looks like he could could unify that division. I mean, I'd love to see him fight Marius Bradis. That's the fight he's he's looking for. I think Murat Gassiev, if if he was to drop back down again, I know he'd come up to heavyweight, but if he decides to drop back down, that'd be a fight for him. He needs to be in there. They've talked about... About Makabu, Alungu Makabu, uh, Eddie Hearn said in the post-fight uh, interview on the show that Makabu's been on the phone. They've had they've had the Gassiev on the phone, or Brady's on the phone, sorry, and and they're talking about these fights. So let's get him made, let's have him, and let's see how good he really is at this level because he can't stick around cruiserweight for for too much longer anyway because of his size, because of his reach. Naturally, he, he is a heavyweight. You think of his size and his reach. He's as big, if not bigger, than Usyk. Got more reach than Usyk. Uh, he's as big as, I think he's as tall as Joshua. Uh, and I think he might even either have the same reach as him or uh, longer reach than Anthony Joshua. He's made for the heavyweight division. So he, he does eventually need to move up. So I can only see him having three fights, three more fights. And then three fights in Cruiserweight have to be big fights and they have to be for more titles. Uh, and I think essentially that's what they'll do. They'll move him up. But he looked great again. He, he really did look great. He timed everything really well. Picked his punches really well. Made it a routine win as far as I was concerned. Oh, absolutely routine win. And then he's looking, he really is looking great since the lockdown. He's looked so much better. His timing's better. His distances are better. And he's moved away from that hot and cold Lawrence Okoli that we, we see where he was one he was one one minute he's absolutely dreadful still coming through the fight mind you but absolutely poning and then he's going to the next fight and look really good and this time he really is he, he's looking all the, the part the whole part and like you say I mean the fights are out there for him and, and, and Marius Breedis is the fight the trouble is with Breedis is he doesn't really want to travel outside of uh, whether it be Latvia or wherever he is he, he's fought in Germany a few times but he's, I think he's fought in America once um He's not really going to be wanting to travel over to um, to England in, in, in any arena to fight Lawrence Coley. I think that's going to have to possibly really push himself into a pole position for them for the two titles he holds. 
Um, and, and I don't know whether that's gonna. He said, I think that that might, that fight may not happen because of that. It might might go to like a purse bids, and then it's a matter of who wins the purse bids. Uh, Macabre seems to be the one that is more likely uh, for him. I mean, you got I don't know what's happening with Dorticus at the minute. He's another good name out there. But as you say, I think a few more fights, and, and he's ready. He's a bit like Callum Smith, isn't he? Where we used to watch it, look at Callum and sort of think like, how are you super middleweight, light, light heavy, surely your weight. And I think that that's what Lawrence, we're looking at Lawrence now and already we're starting to really see that the heavyweight division is definitely going to be where he will finish his career. It's just a matter of when he makes that step. And I think he wants some more titles. Uh, he's eager to do it and he's looking great and another good knockout. And I think he beats pretty much anyone in this division. I really do. I think Breedis is the only one, depending on where that fight is, that could cause him some problems. But other than that, I think he beats pretty much everyone else. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, the rest of the card, we had uh, Christopher Owsley. He won his fight and continued on in his career. Daniel Lapin, he went to 5-0. and uh, I didn't get a chance to watch them two fights in particular. I managed to catch the Florian Marku-Maxime Prodan fight. Florian Marku came away with the decision, which I thought was quite a close decision. To be honest with you, I thought Prodan gave him a really good fight. Uh, he exposed a couple of weaknesses, I thought, in, in Marku's armour. I think Marku keeps saying he's ready for all these big names domestically in the welterweight division and that's what he's that's what he wants I, I do think he's going to get found out at some point I honestly do I think there's going to be someone that finds Marku out I think at the moment there's a lot of hype surrounding him and I, I don't think it's completely warranted uh, I, I feel he's a little bit overrated at this stage of his career I think that it's going to be a big fight that's going to really take to sort of show that there are levels to this sport and although he thinks he's at a certain level I don't think he's quite there yet but he had a good fight against Prodan, who was also undefeated, and he came to win that fight. And I think some people might have said he might have been slightly unlucky. He could have been given that on any other night, but he didn't. And Florian Marku got the victory, uh, and he moves on in his career. He picked up that IBF international welterweight title, so that now gives him an opportunity to be in the IBF rankings in the welterweight division. So he's starting to make his ascension there and starting to put his name out there for, for these bigger fights. Uh, just a quick note then, really, Johnson, before we end the episode, just on Florian Marku. I mean, looking at what you've seen of him so far, do, could you honestly see him going on to, to be a world beater? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not quite convinced um, at the minute. Um, I don't know why. It's just, I mean, I've seen bit. I, I didn't really watch the fight to be honest with you. on on Saturday. I missed most of it and sort of caught bits and bobs. Um, so I didn't really catch that. But from what from the other fight, from what I'm hearing, you know, he got the win and that, which is great. And, it, and from I can't think what other fight it was. I see of his. He hasn't really, you know, I, I, I see his name. I know the name. Um, I wouldn't say I look at for his fight. So he needs to do something really to impress myself. Um, maybe it's just. I've, I've I've missed the boat a little bit. I probably need to do a bit more own work on Marku, but um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure to be honest. I can't really comment, Sean. I mean, the fact <laughs> he's a southpaw, he's 28 years old. He's Albanian. He's, the Eastern Europeans they're always pretty tough. So um, I think he, he could be there or thereabouts. But if you know the worldweight division is is it's littered with some real talent. So. Yeah, I, I really need to do my homework before I actually give you a, a full-on uh, breakdown of Marku. But yeah, from what I've seen, hasn't really lit me, uh, <laughs> lit me, <laughs> hasn't really uh, sparked me into life. I'm pretty sure, obviously, there'll be other people that listen to the episode, guys. Johnson clearly is not interested in watching Florian Marku. So, um, <laughs> if anybody else, yeah. if, any, if anybody else has got an opinion on Florian, then um, absolutely you can you can throw that opinion my way. Yeah, and, sorry and about that, know. guys. Uh, I do apologise for that. I literally threw that one back at you, Sean. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, again. He's a name I know of. I've not really seen too much of him, so I'm not. I can't really comment. No, that, that's fair enough. Obviously, if you missed the fight, you've only caught bits and bats of it. I, you know, I do get that. Uh, for for me, guys, obviously, Florian <laughs> Marku, that's what I feel about him. If you guys have got any comments on that, please do let me know. I am interested to know what people think about it. Uh, if it's just me being a bit overly critical or whether I actually have this sort of suspicion that other people might have as well. So, yeah, do let us know. Drop, drop us a tweet at BTR Boxing Pod or on Facebook or on Instagram. Let me know what you think about Florian Marku. Has he got the potential to be a world champion in the future? I don't quite think he does. So I'll be quite interested to hear the thoughts and opinions of everybody else. Now... 
that pretty much wraps it up then. There, there isn't anything else at this moment in time that I want to go through for this reaction show. Obviously, we've got Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury in their third encounter on October the 9th. So there will be a big fight preview coming for that in the next week. I'll be excited to talk about that one, Johnston, and, and the prospects of it and the yeah. first two fights. And, and obviously, you know, the, the potential of what's going to happen there. And of course, our predictions. Uh, for anybody else, obviously, that follows us. If you've not checked out any of our other series-based episodes, we've got the darker side of boxing career profiles and legendary nights please go and subscribe to them and find us on twitter our main account is at btr boxing pod and you can find us on facebook on instagram and the youtube channel where all the episodes do get uploaded to there so please do do go and check that out and give it a subscribe as well it's really really appreciated Finally, big shout out to the patrons as always. Got to give you a shout out, guys. You're supporting us all the way through this journey. We really, really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for giving us that support that we need to take our podcast to the next level. And for the guys that are not patrons, why don't you go and check it out? Patreon.com forward slash BTR Boxing Podcast Network. We've got additional content on there that we've been putting out there every single month that doesn't go out to the general public. We do some series-based style episodes. We do some storytelling episodes. We do just done some Q&A stuff, which I thought was really, really great. And it'd be great to get more people involved, uh, but more so the support from you guys. If there's anybody out there that's been listening for a while, you know, even as minimum as, I think it's around about £2.50, £2.50 a month. I mean, what do you spend £2.50 on? You can spend that in, like, the space of a few seconds, can't you? You're just going on the internet. It's ridiculous. Like, But for us, <laughs> it makes a it makes a whole great world of difference because, as I've said to the patrons in, in their episodes, and I'll say it to you guys listening, when you guys give us that support, no matter how small or large it is, it all adds up and it allows us to then look at the potential for future episodes and, and more recording time. And that's that's the, the issue we have, is obviously we have to produce everything ourselves, we have to edit in edits everything ourselves we don't have a researcher we don't have any of the things that all the other big podcasts have out there so for us we can't concentrate solely on recording time which is why a lot of the other main feed events and the main feed podcasts are quite limited and, and it's all spread across the whole network as best as it possibly can be because we can only put so much recording time in because we've got to research all the series-based episodes we've got to make sure they're produced to the best of our ability to make sure they're edited to make sure any little mistakes or or any fluff of lines or anything that we forget about that we need to stick in it's all oh, got it, well this is it pronunciations <laughs> we've got to make sure that all that is the best listening experience possible so if you've got the opportunity and the ability to be able to support us check out patreon.com forward slash btr boxing podcast network and finally well feel i am very feel i'm feeling that alexander usik is gonna be a future legend in the sport and after his performance against anthony joshua on Saturday night. It's really changed the landscape of the heavyweight division. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to our thoughts and feelings on that whole card. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next Big Fight Preview. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.